Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. Chapter number 10 this evening and look at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. So we have just got finished with Romans chapter 9. And Paul is going to explain some things just like he does from chapter 5 to chapter 6. Paul is going to explain some things to us to help us understand the stuff that he's just said. Chapter 5, he said, if there's abounding grace, then what you're going to understand by that is you can do whatever you want. That's why he says in chapter 6, verse number 1, that should we get, he says, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he says, God forbid, or don't let it be so. So he says, he says that's not the point. And Paul's going to do the same thing in Romans chapter number 10 that he did in Romans chapter number 6. He's going to, he's going to go from looking at God's sovereignty and salvation to help explain some misconceptions that we could have due to our understanding of God's sovereignty. So Romans chapter number 10, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, the Bible says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So what Paul does here is he's going to break down into four points what we need to understand after coming out of Romans chapter number 9. First, he's going to talk about his prayer to God. Second, he's going to talk about the knowledge of God. Thirdly, he's going to talk about the submission to God. And then fourthly, he's going to talk about rest in God. And we'll move through these relatively quickly this evening. But in verse number one, Paul gives his prayer to God. Verse number one says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So what Paul is saying, he said, he said, what I want, what my desire is, and what my desire has become is a prayer. And what that prayer is, is that Israel might be saved. Paul didn't come out of chapter number nine saying, well, whoever's God's going to save, God's going to save. So I don't matter what I do. Paul comes out of chapter number nine saying what he said in chapter number nine. And then he says that his desire is still and even his prayer, his actions are towards Israel being saved. And if we remember over in chapter number nine, verse number one, he said that he wasn't going to lie that his conscience bears him witness. Verse number two, he said he was sorrowful. And verse number three, he said that he wishes that he could be a curse from Christ for his brethren. So what he's saying in chapter number nine, he's saying my desire is that Israel is saved. And in chapter number 10, Paul says my prayer is that Israel is saved. So even after talking about the sovereignty and the control that God has over salvation, he says my prayer is that Israel will be saved. So Paul understands this participation that he has 
in the work of God. The participation that he's been given and allowed to see in the work of God. So the question that we need to ask ourselves is, where did this desire that Paul had come from? Well, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 9 says that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. So the heart of God is for a people. And this heart of God that desires to see people saved is the same desire that Paul has. Paul said his desire was to see people saved. So God's desire became Paul's desire. And if we are going to act according to the Bible, then Paul's desire and God's desire should be our desire. It should be our desire to see people that we know saved. And it should be our desire to see people that we don't know saved. Because that's what the desire of God and the desire of the apostles was, is that people come to God. What we shouldn't allow to happen in our life is we shouldn't allow the sovereignty of God to water down or dilute the responsibility that man has. And vice versa, we shouldn't let the responsibility that man has dilute the sovereignty and the power of God. So we shouldn't allow either one of these things to water each other down. It was, uh, it was Charles Spurgeon, I believe, who said that you can't, there's no need to reconcile friends in talking about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. These things aren't against each other. They're part of the same scripture. There is some tension there, but they're part of the scripture, and we need to take them as such. But what Paul says in the scripture is that his prayer to God is that they be saved because he understands that only God can save. If he could do it, he would have. And that's what he said in the beginning of Romans chapter 9. He said, if I could make myself unsaved, if I could put myself outside of Christ for my brethren, I would do that. If I could, if I could somehow get them to come to God, I would do that. But he understands that God is in control of salvation. And so his prayer to God is that Israel might be saved. That's Paul's prayer in verse number one. So secondly, verse number two, Paul explains why Israel isn't saved. And he looks at the, the zeal that is, in essence, killing his brethren. Verse number two, he talks about the lack of the knowledge of God. He says, I bear them record... They, that they have the zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. And the reason that Paul knew this is because he had been one of those people who had a zeal for God and not according to knowledge. Matthew 23, verse number 15 says, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and he says, Woe unto you Pharisees. He's saying, basically bad things are going to come upon you because you will go over land and sea to make one proselyte. So the Jews, they, what Jesus was saying to them, he said, he said, you would go way out of your way. You'd cross over land and sea. You would go to whatever means necessary to make one person believe in Judaism. He's saying, you would do this. But he, he begins this out. He's saying, bad things are going to happen because you're doing this. And it wasn't that they were trying to proselyte people. It's because they had a lack of knowledge. And that's what Paul understood. He said that I bear record. He said, I'm the one who's saying this because I know these things. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Yeah. 
Paul knew what they meant. Scriptures tell us, Psalm 110, verse number 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then over in Jeremiah, chapter number four and verse number 22, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, he says, you don't know me. He's rebuking Israel. He's saying, your problem is you don't know me. The problem with the Jews is they knew about God, but they did not know God. And I know we say that sometimes in a cliche type of manner. We say that in a, in a almost as a, uh, it just kind of rolls off the tongue and we don't really stop to think about what we're saying. But what Paul was conveying to the Romans and what God in Jeremiah was conveying through the prophet was that they knew all these things about God, but they'd never stopped to learn of God. The word knowledge that Paul actually uses here, it's not the word gnosis, but it's a deeper word. He's using an an intimate knowledge. It's like, I may know Donald Trump by name. I may know that he has a specific hairdo. I may know that he owns a specific amount of buildings. I can look up on Google and find out what he is. But I don't know Donald Trump like I know Charles Nagy because I have talked to you. We've met each other. We know each other. I don't know Donald Trump like I know Reese. I don't know Donald Trump like I know Lindsey because we've met. I know you. I don't know. I do know about you. And that's part of it. But I don't know just about you. I know you. And that's what God was saying through Paul. He said they know about me, but they don't have the knowledge of me. And that was their problem. Again, even in the Old Testament, you don't know me was their issue. Psalm 64 talks about Christ in prophecy being the wisdom of God. And the call for us is not to ignore knowledge, not to ignore learning about God, but even more than that, not to ignore learning of God and from God. And just like the question that we read tonight, how are we going to learn of God and from God? It's got to be through the Spirit. Because everything that we receive is through the Spirit taking the Word and teaching us who God is. It's that relationship. I can read, I can read theology books and learn about God. But if I don't have the Spirit illuminating these things in my heart, it's not going to matter. I'm going to come away knowing about God, but not knowing of God, not, know, not knowing who God is, not appreciating God for his character and for who he is. And that's some of the danger in, in the culture that we live in. Everybody that you talk to knows about God. They know about Jesus. They know about Christmas. They know about all these things, but they don't know God. And the issue for these Jewish people, same issue that we see in different places in our world today, They knew about God, and they had a zeal. They were eager to tell people about this God that they knew about. But they didn't know him. So they had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. So the call that Paul is saying, he's saying, I'm not telling you to ignore the knowledge about God, but you better have Christ, who is the wisdom of God, and you better have a knowledge of God. Because that zeal is going not only to be worthless, but it's going to hurt you in the long run. 
Bad, like Jesus said, bad things are going to happen if we have a zeal, but we don't know who God is. So we see the lack of knowledge in verse number two. Verse number three, we see the submission to God that was needed. He said, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. And again, it goes back to the knowledge. He said they had a zeal, not according to knowledge. They were, and the reason they didn't have it according to knowledge because they were ignorant of God's righteousness. And going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So they knew about God, but they were, they were rejecting that redemptive history of the Old Testament. They knew all these aspects about God, but they were ignoring that the Bible was talking about Christ. They were ignoring that these prophecies, even some of what we looked at this morning, was talking about Christ, not about a kingdom that was going to be set up on earth necessarily. Now, we understand some of these things are going to happen, but that Micah was speaking of what Christ was going to bring, and that's what they didn't understand. They, they didn't have that knowledge, and they hadn't submitted themselves after it happened. So Christ had come. He had fulfilled these things, and they refused to submit themselves to it. It would be like me telling Reese a specific thing, and he knows about it now, but he refuses to do it. He refuses to submit himself to doing it because he wants to do things his own way. I may tell him there's a better way to do something, but because he wants to do things his own way, he won't submit to it, even after he learns that there's a better way. Yeah. And that just comes from being hard-headed humans is what that comes from. Yeah. There's, there's been things that I wanted to do to do a specific way, even, and I won't go into a lot of detail, but even, even there's even things mechanically that I think, well, I'm going to do this my way when there was really an easier way to do it. But that's what the Jews were doing. They were running themselves out of steam, so to speak. They're going to end up, ultimately, they're going to end up eternally dead in hell because they refused to look at the knowledge of Christ and submit themselves to that says that they were going about, they were busy. They were running around trying to establish their own righteousness. And when we don't see the gospel, that's what we do. We run around trying to make sure that we're dressing right or doing right or showing up to church every time the doors are open. And I'm not saying those are bad things, but we are trying to establish our own righteousness. We're making sure everybody knows that we are righteous, that we're godly. We want to make sure that when we get to a 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years in, in quote-unquote Christian service, that everybody knows what we've done for the past 20 and 30 and 40 years because that has been our mission to establish our own righteousness. But it's not about us. It's about him. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying they've refused to submit themselves to the righteousness of God. They refused to look at the gospel and say, Christ has done the work. This is what it was about. All of the Old Testament stuff that we did, it was pointing to Christ. They refused to see that they couldn't reconcile themselves and submit themselves to the reconciliation that had been done. That's what we, that's what we talked about yesterday. That Christ has reconciled the world unto God. And there's no sense and no point in us running around trying to reconcile ourselves to God when the work's already been done. But that's what the Jews were doing. That's why Paul said, I'm praying 
that they see and they understand who Christ is. Christ is the righteousness of God. And that we learned that from Romans 3.22. We saw that in Romans 3.22. It said that Christ is the righteousness of God. If we want, to, if we want the righteousness of God, we're never going to be able to do it ourselves. It's only found in the person of Christ. And if we've at one point in our life submitted ourselves to that fact, if we've submitted ourselves and put our trust in that Christ has reconciled us to God, then our life should be marked with continued submission. We shouldn't stop trusting the gospel. We shouldn't stop reading and hearing and learning about the gospel. We should continue in submission to it. We should continue in the knowledge of God and the knowledge of the gospel, knowledge of who Christ is. This should be the markers that we have. It shouldn't be that we say that we've learned it one time and set it aside, but we should have a continued submission and a continued knowledge in these things. So verse number three speaks about us, the submission of God, but verse number four talks about rest in God. Verse number four says, For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So while Paul was done, he said that, he said, my desire, what I want inside of me, what I want more than anything is to see my brethren, the people who are like me, I want to see them saved. I'm praying to God that they'll be saved. He said they are zealous. They, they want to do the things for God but they don't have the knowledge that goes along with it. They don't know what they're doing, basically. He said they're ignorant of God's righteousness. Not only are they ignorant of God's righteousness, they're ignorant of God's righteousness because they won't submit themselves to God's righteousness. They can't ever know God's righteousness because they won't trust God's righteousness in the person of Christ. But he explains to us why all this is. In verse number four, he says, there's rest in God. That we don't have to run about doing all these things because there's rest in God. Amen. And what he says is, he says, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. And what, what he wasn't saying, he wasn't saying that the law is done with, that you can go around and murder and everything else you want to do. He wasn't setting the law aside necessarily, but what he was saying, he uses the word end, and it's the same word that we get terminus. Not terminate, but like basically like a terminal. It's the same word that we, if you think of a train station, they come into a terminal. Electricity comes into a terminal. Yeah. Planes come into a terminal. Yeah. Basically, everything flows into this one thing. Those planes don't stop, but everything's flowing into one place. And that's what we learned Wednesday nights a few months ago, that everything was flowing into Christ. What Paul was saying, he said, Christ is the fulfillment of the law. All of these laws... All of these rituals, all of these things were flowing into Christ. He was the terminal for the law. And he was the terminal for the law, Paul says, for righteousness. So if we want to have the righteousness of God, then we need to find the terminal from which all of the law that the Jews are trying to fulfill, it comes into. We need to find the, the ending point, the goal 
of the law. And Paul says that's Christ. But what he specifies is that it's to everyone that believeth. So that terminal is conditional. We're not going to get on a plane of the law and fly it ourselves and end up in the right place. We've got to follow where that plane is going, and that is into Christ. And we have to believe in Christ in order to gain the righteousness of God. In order to gain the fulfillment of the law, you have to believe in the fulfillment of the law. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying, if, if my brethren are ever going to stop running around, running about all over the place... Without knowledge, trying to build up their own righteousness, they're going to have to believe in Christ. Once they believe in Christ, they'll have gotten to the destination that they're trying to get to through the law. And that was even, that was Jesus' whole point. When he was talking to the Pharisees, he's saying, you've missed the point of the law. The the Pharisees were trying to take the law in order to get to God. They were trying to use the law in order to bash through that wall of partition to get to God. Not understanding that God was going to break the veil of partition through the person of Christ and get to them. But they were rejecting that. They were saying, no, we don't want to go through this massive rip that you've made in this wall of partition. We want to keep trying to get through it ourselves. Paul's desire was that they just see that the partition had been opened and God had come to them and put their trust in that. He said it's to everyone that believes. For, For Christians, for the ones who have believed, we can rest in that. Because Paul is saying that we have the righteousness of God now. When God looks at us, he sees not the fulfilling of the law. He sees the terminal of the law. He sees where the law has concluded because he sees Christ. So when he looks at us, he looks at us in the same way that he would look at somebody who had fulfilled the complete and entire law their whole life. He looks at us the way that he created Adam. But even better than that, we have Christ so we can't ever fall again. So he looks at us the way that he looked at, when he looked down at Adam, he said what he had created was very good. That's when God looks down at us as those who have believed, he says, these people are very good. But he's looking at them through Christ. Christ can't fall. If we would have been descendants of Adam and Adam had never sinned, we would still be very good, but we would have the potential of falling. What we have in Christ is very good without the potential of falling. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, that's what I want for that's what I want for my brethren. And if we understand Paul's heart, that's what we should want to. When we look around at people that we know that are our brethren according to the flesh, we should want them to see that God has made it possible for them to be very good. They don't have to try and be good anymore because God has done the work for them. And that's Paul's call. Paul's call in chapter number 10, after saying that God 
chose Jacob but didn't choose Esau, after saying that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, after saying all of these things that God had done in order to save a people, he's saying my hearts and my desire is that they'll be saved. That's what I want. It didn't, again, it didn't water down what Paul wanted. His desire and what Paul spent his life doing was trying to tell people, even people who weren't his brethren according to the flesh, that reconciliation had been made, that they could have the righteousness of God. And for us, again, the call is that we continue in submission to this righteousness. We continue in the knowledge that we continue to learn about Christ, but that we don't just keep it stagnant and say that, well, if God's going to save them, he's going to save them. That our prayer should be that God saves and that that prayer should produce an action where we're showing people that they have been reconciled in Christ if they'll only believe. They just have to to believe it. They have to see that it's been done and believe that it was done for them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here tonight.